I wanted to take this moment to thank all of our podcast listeners on our audio platforms. You guys are awesome. Your support has been noticed. We have been growing and growing across multiple platforms, and it's been exciting to see the numbers. Thank you so very much. And again, if you ever want to be a part of our live stream, be sure to follow us on Facebook or Twitter, and most importantly, join us in the Discord in the show notes. Thank you guys so much, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. More questions? What do you guys think RB needs to do over the next year to help evolve the competitive scene outside of products? So we're going to, this is a great transition into organized play, of course, but we can start with this one here. Um, I mean, this is a, this is a pretty big, big ass. Now we know that RB kind of on record said that they didn't plan to do anything organized play uh, for the first year. So we might not see anything announced until quarter three, quarter four, if it happens. But they mentioned they mentioned they were going to move it up now that they've seen. Okay, yeah, sure. But they also said we're going to get an October restock, and here we are. <laughs> so let's just say, uh, you know, summer fine, summer twenty twenty four. What are we looking for uh, out of Robinsberger to potentially, you know, kick out the competitive scene from a official standpoint? Are you, are you asking me? Are you? Yeah, I'm asking you. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> I I actually think that uh, the way that's going right now is actually really healthy for a competitive scene. To be honest with you, um, I think all the third parties that are running it, like we've talked, we've already talked multiple times about how, like, we we think there was like four or five one Ks this weekend that we don't even have reports on and things like that. So, and like you know. Again, if we're if we were willing to travel in a two or three hour radius, we could play every single week for the next like five or six weeks leading up to the release, et cetera. Um, I actually think it's their casual scene that needs to be pumped up. Um, I actually, and I'm not, and I say this as obviously an ultra competitive player, but I actually think that as it stands right now, they have more to learn from Robinsburg has more to learn from the third parties than the third parties have to be handed anything from Robinsburger. I have seen some people say things like, oh, you know, I'd love first party, you know, regionals leading to nationals, leading to worlds, et cetera, which will happen um, eventually. But to be honest with you, the running of those events is right now, it, it wouldn't be done by the company itself. So they're still trying to probably feel out like how they're going, who they're going to use to do that kind of stuff. Is it going to be a regional thing? Is it going to be like how big, where are they going to run the events, et cetera? So I think that they're in the, they're in the process of feeling that out. But honestly, Given what I saw in Miami, I was really impressed with, you know, the quality of decks that people had given the issues with inventory. And I don't think that, I, I think that still represents a minority of the population. So honestly, I think for the game to succeed, they actually need to focus on issues that are not related to competitive play. Cause I actually think that the third parties and I, and I count third parties as not just PBG size or, etc like I, I think like the stores that are doing it for the 1ks and 2ks are doing a great job as well and i count them as third parties like i think all that stuff is running excellent um i actually think it's their their focus in order to grow the game needs to be on a more local level to be honest with you uh well so for step one to rebuttal that is they need product right like, right, like right. the casual stuff needs product because the casual players are the one that wants they're the ones that don't necessarily want to go and buy singles. They want to open packs every week. They want to go and they want to play in their leagues and they want to get a few packs. And 
aside from this last weekend where I saw multiple cases just sitting in front of me for like half of a day. And I'm just like, man, that sucks. I, I can't open any of that stuff. <laughs> but aside from that, I haven't seen a pack in weeks. So, mm-hmm. you know, without no, that, the casual level is so difficult because it's just, you know, it, it's not people want product. People want to, you know, continue their collection through that way. They want to enjoy excitement through opening product at league night. So if you don't have product, then you can't build the local community. And I think that's the hardest, specifically the casual local community, because eventually they're going to get bored with playing with the same stuff. And again, they're not going to go to that extra level of going in and the eBay and TCG player and all those things and finding other ways to, to play the game. The second part here is even if, right, we have to understand this, even if and when Robinsberger does start this official tournament scene, it's not going to stop all these other ones. No. So it's just going to be an addition to. So there's really no reason to not be committed to what everyone else is already doing. You know, uh, we saw now PPG has hosted two events. Uh, there's two more events that they announced by the end of the year. What we know from experience from PPG from, from the past is they, they do qualifiers. They do invitationals. So they're going to end up trying to do those things. They might end up trying to do store tournaments nationwide to get qualified for an event for them at the end of the year they might have a leaderboard and things like that like we they do this for other games this we knew this going in when i first you know interviewed machado a couple months back you can go and watch the video it states that you know we're we're jumping into lurkana head first we wanted to be the first you know to 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 announce that but it's also to see what the community wanted and if they were going to come 265 players signed up to play in that event sad enough only 214 were able to show up, but 265 people were willing to play. Uh, trust me, they're not going anywhere. They're going to keep announcing events. We're going to keep bringing Machado on. We're going to keep interviewing. We're going to keep telling you guys all about that stuff. So Robinsberger doing anything, to me, it's just a bonus at this point. We, yeah, we're going to have plenty to do next year as a competitive player. The, the two advantages I would say that Robinsberger has to, to do something, though, it, it's twofold. One, there's the promo aspect. Okay, so they're really the only part, unless they give it to the third parties for hosting events, like, they're the only ones that they have full control over that. So if you want to show up to an event instead of, like, getting a pack, for example, like, I, I played an event last week and it was a $50 entry and you got a pack. Like, so at least you got something um, out of it. But if, they, if you got a promo that would be full control from Robinsberger. So that's one aspect of it. The other aspect of it is I think, and I, you know, I've talked to George about a lot of this, like you can make these into destination events, not just like a tournament on a Saturday, like that's happening again, like most stores are doing like, but if you're, if you turn these into destination events where there's like a full like roster of side events and a full, like, you know, day two, et cetera. Um, I, I think that, that you'll have, um, that's that's the next evolution, in my opinion. And I think Robinsburg can help, again, help out a lot in that aspect. Even if it's not them doing it or even them specifically contracting somebody else out, they can, again, assist with promos or bringing staff on and things like that that, like, is, a, is an extra reason to go to those types, to types of events. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I hate to disagree with you. I think, I think so, like, even this weekend, there were side events. Yeah. Um, but they weren't like formal. They were honestly announced like last minute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were on the website for like a week, but I accidentally found the 1K like 
So much to the point where when I messaged George about it, he goes, that wasn't even supposed to be on there yet. So like, um, I think it, and, and listen, uh, I have no problem saying this. George wants to put on a better show. He wants to continue to, uh, evolve. And from that, you know, at galaxy con and at, um, Orlando, we're going to be talking about it in a second here. He wants the side events to be that. He wants to, mm-hmm. you know, get from the community what the community wants to see inside events, whether it be win a gift set, which basically what the eight-man pods were this weekend, um, potentially win a box, you know, whatever is, you know, the the most players want to see. Like, let's just say we do a 16-player win a box tournament, you know, like something like that. That means every time there's 16 people that sign up for an event, it fires off, and then the winner just takes home a box. Yeah. Sure. Um, and the eight mans were similar. It was, you know, eight players and the winner won a gift set. So you can do things like that. You can do multiplayer pods, um, you know, four man multiplayer pods, you know, I don't know, $10 a person and the, whoever wins, wins a couple packs, you know, whatever it happens to be. Um, if, if we get into, I, I don't, I still, the sad thing is, is that I, I don't think we can get to a point where we can fire off drafts. Uh, no, there's no. just, there's literally just not enough product. Um, sadly, like there just simply isn't enough product to support that. Uh, same thing with sealed. Like for me, I love competitive and I love playing in, you know, uh, constructed events con- consistently, but at the same time, every once in a while, I don't mind having a sealed deck, you know, uh, competitive event show up. So like if one of the destination events was for a sealed event, that'd be cool. But again, not enough product to do that. We probably won't see that for in all honesty, maybe six, eight months, who the hell knows. Um, so there's definitely things that can be done to create these more destination fields. Mm-hmm. And I think that in the end, Miami showcased the ability that you can get 200 plus players to come to one of these events already. And that's just, you know, realistically two months in the chapter one. So that's crazy, but let's talk about it a little bit further. Um, we're going to add to the stage. Uh, so again, this past weekend was, the Miami Lurkana tour. Now, Scott, you were the player. I was the commentator. I had a whole video about this released today, but I do want to hear from you playing in this event. Uh, you know, you see the numbers here. We're going to talk about your particular uh, matches that you played in a little bit here, but what did you see What you were sitting around? Like, does this really complement basically what you were sitting around at the tables? If you just include the top two, that's what I sat around all day long. <laughs> I played one match that wasn't Amber Steel or Ruby Amethyst. Right, right, right. Um, and I that and, was uh, that was a uh, against an other, right? Uh, in this, yes, it would yeah. be other. It was <laughs> so, it was the Lilo and Maleficent that's there. It was yeah, it was yeah, Amber. Yeah. Okay, Amber Amethyst. Then I, if if that's where it was, I feel like this is too big of a yeah, <laughs> section. Yeah, that's part of the other, but it was definitely. I think there the were other. six registered Amber Amethyst decks in the event. Because uh, I was just looking at it too a little bit ago. So that means you 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 know one of six is pretty good. That was was that your round one opponent? Two, round two opponent. Okay, even round one I still played Ruby Amethyst. All right, even round one we still played Ruby Amethyst. <laughs> that's fine. Um, now playing in the event. And really taking a thought of the of the overall, what you know, going to time, right? It, we was a big factor. Um, we spoke <laughs> about it. Big, for me, it was a big for, factor. For you, it was definitely a big factor. But I think, like in general, there's a lot of games that went to time. Um, and you know, 
what are your feelings after playing an eight round tournament going to time? I think in three of them, uh, what are your current feelings about the end of time procedure in the game? Um, so before we even get to the end of time procedure, I will tell you that I'm no longer playing Mr. Nice Guy at any more of these events. So like, okay. at this point, I'm not just letting people take two minute, mm. like two, three minute turns. Um, so, uh, we're past that point. I'm also no longer allowing people to not tap their ink when, or exert their ink when they're doing things, not like keep track of their ink on the side or do it like other games do it. I don't care. Like play the game the way it's supposed to be played and we won't have confusion and we won't spend time recounting everything that's going on. But anyway, um, end of time. So first of all, I don't think 50 minutes is enough time for a best of three. Okay. So when I was playing in Maryland, I get, I, was it last week? I don't know. The weeks are so It was long. the week before Miami. So yeah. Yeah. So long ago. Feels like it was so long ago. Feels like it was long ago. I, we did 55 minute rounds. Oh, okay. And I don't think I went to time once. So in my opinion, I don't think, I don't think 50 minute rounds are long enough, especially when you're dealing with this, again, a new community and that'll always happen with, with, I don't think the community will be mature for a while. Um, even though a lot of players are coming from other games. Um, so in my opinion, I would do like 55 minute to 60 minute rounds, but I think 55 well, is probably fine. Is there any world where you would rather go to a best of one? No. Okay. Don't even spend any time on it. Just move. Go forward. No. Um, I don't like best of ones unless you do Swiss plus two. And I don't trust that most people would actually do Swiss plus two. So I don't trust it. Um, but the, but the 50 minute five, five turns is not, is not long enough. I would do 55 minutes. Um, but even assuming the world with that doesn't happen. Um, I, I just don't think that the, too many people are able to just play for a draw and in a tournament the size that, that, that we, we had it a draw was basically a loss a lot of times depending on when that draw came what your record was at the time um i mean i finished five one and two with two draws which was pretty much like the second draw eliminated me from i, I mean i not technically like i could have been five oh and three or whatever like and made it in but like once I had a loss and two draws, I was already eliminated from top 16. Right. Which didn't happen until the second to last round, but whatever. Um, in terms of, like, do I think we should go to, like, lore counts at the end? I, I don't know. I can see the positives and negatives of that as well. Um, I think I think control decks would have a serious hard time even showing up to an event if you went with lore counts at the end. Uh Pure control decks would 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 just automatically lose in time. Um, now, are they automatically trying to draw in time? Yes, uh, but you're taking all my counter arguments away. <laughs> I, I I can see both arguments, but I I don't like I I can understand the argument of like not not just going with pure lore, but when the five turns are over and it's just automatically a draw, it just allows you to basically like play for that draw. If you're behind, not playing for your opponent to not win as opposed to you also trying to win. But certain decks do that anyway. So I don't think it's that big of a deal. Like, I didn't see anyone like really making any plays that would have altered the way they were playing because they were playing for that. In my opinion, when I played it, I don't think I saw anybody like taking I, I, unorthodox. I, 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 I said it on stream all day. It, 
players were absolutely playing for this. I mean, I will they say had five, to. The point well, is that they minutes, forced, five minutes to go, they could slow down their pace. I'll give right. you that. Absolutely. That I'll give you, but not in the extra turns. Like in the extra turns, there's not, there's no reason to drag out your turns. Right. But the point is in the extra turns, you can absolutely just play defense to not lose. Sure. But I mean, I didn't see anyone doing that at like, uh, we have 15 minutes to go and we're in game one. I'm going to play defense the rest of this game, drag it out as long as possible. If, if if you if people if people if that happened to people and one of my losses was 1-0, for example, I don't think my opponent was dragging it out. It could have been my own fault for not conceding earlier. Mm-hmm. Oh um, yeah, sure, sure. So I don't think you can just go with lore at the end because I just don't I don't I just think the control decks would be unplayable at that point. And so I don't know because as it stands right now with 50 minute rounds, the game still being new. So many games just automatically go to time, like to extra turns anyway. A lot of them do get done in those turns, but I just I just think that's too much of an advantage for the decks that are non-control aspects. Now, most of the games I was commentating, um, I couldn't really look around the room to see exactly where we were. There were several times where the last game being played was the stream match. Yeah, ironically. Um, how often, you're, like on average, how many tables do you think we're going to time? Not many. Um, not many where I was sitting. I can tell you that much. Sure, sure. Um, I don't know about the lower tables, but but not that many. Not as many as I would have thought. Okay, fair enough. Like I would say like maybe low double digits, like okay. 10 the most. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't... It's not that I don't like draws or ties or anything like that. I just think unintentional draws create really shitty moments for players uh and to go off of the concept of we have a bunch of new players we have a bunch of inexperienced players it's a newer game um there's not like that i'm trying to think of like the correct wording for it to make it sound right but it's like there's not the camaraderie of understanding that you can't win and when you can't win Knowing that you're going to go to a draw, and if you can see that your opponent is supposed to win, you should concede. Uh, just, know. I'm just saying this is this is where I'm at. Because, like, let's just say if we played our five turns, but it's very clear that the next turn my opponent's going to win the game. Like, that draw is killing both of you or anyway. So, like, if you can't win the game anyway... There is some level of sportsmanship in my world where I'm like, I'm going to lose. If we both draw, we're both going to screw ourselves anyway. So, like, I may as well just give my opponent the win. I, I don't know. That's why I hate the draw situation. Uh, Brian Westbrook situation. largely disagrees with that, going down at the one-yard line. So, I totally disagree with that all, in I, all aspects. It's just – but that's the problem here. The problem is that <laughs> since there is no clear winner, this is never going to happen anyway. And the bigger problem is, is that since there is no clear winner, then there's always a position for players to not play to win. And that is the worst part of anything. You should always be playing to win the game. And the rules currently are telling you to do otherwise. And that's Mm -hmm. shitty. It's shitty as a commentator because I literally just have to sit there and say, well, he can't win the game, but he can sure as hell do everything possible to make sure his opponent can't win the game. So he's going to make some really awkward looking plays for the next three turns just so his opponent can't get the 20 more. That's a shitty thing to commentate on. Like there's nothing to be said here. It's just like the strategy is don't die and 
it doesn't matter if you can win because you're just going to draw. It It's not a fun game experience. It's just not. It's It was really shitty to see it often all day long. I mean, it's been, the worst of it was round one uh, where we had a 64-minute game one of a Ruby Amethyst Mirror. And legitimately, neither player could win the game in 64 minutes. And the last, like, eight turns of the game were just making sure the other player couldn't win the game. Because both of them knew that, well, I can't win, but I can make sure my opponent can't lose. So that means they wasted everyone's time for nearly 70 minutes to a 0-0 draw. It's terrible. It, I, I'm I'm not going to move past it. I think it's shitty. I think there should absolutely be a punishment to control decks. If you can't win a game in 30 minutes, then, oh, well, like, like change your deck, modify your deck to work within the time restraints of the game. But modifying your deck to just play 50-minute game ones, it's not fun for anybody. <laughs> I mean, that's up Who's to your opponent. Fun? That's up to your opponent to concede. I still think 55-minute rounds would fix this. I I mean, I just told you there was a 65-minute game one in a Ruby Amethyst Mirror. Now, granted, I mean, I'll tell you that Spellbook fit changes all this. I'll tell you that Merlin fixes all this because right. now you're just going to have natural lore gains throughout, and right. maybe that's the difference. Maybe the problem is... In all honesty, the card pool yeah. uh, producing the decks that it is, and that's why you see cards like we already see in Chapter Two, just naturally giving you lore. And maybe it's just a problem in the Chapter One metagame. Time will tell. But but wait a minute, let me ask you this: How do you justify in the untimed rounds that none of the rounds went more than like an hour? Because those players knew what they were doing. I do have to play the game. I can justify it. Because the top 16 players were arguably the best players in the room. So then what's the issue here? Well, the issue is that, again, we go to the, if you give them five minutes, they'll ask for 10. Right. Totally. So if you just change the rules to where you don't have like unintentional draws, then you also remove all these problems anyway. And you force players to play in a different attitude with their own decks rather than playing the game they're going to play anyway. It's a, to me, it's about the players. You're it's, it's I'm hating the players, not the game. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> but I also know that we're living in a rules. Like, we're living right now in a rule book that is absolutely not written. Right. I agree. So like, this is my like opinion that like, if forever might be listening to take a, a second. Now you 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 offered five minutes. I'm always going to say that the more you put more time on the clock, the more that players are just going to continuously ask for more, and that's where it's a problem. Every other game in existence that we've we've had this conversation offline, they're all 50 minute rounds. So like, why are we trying to go to 55 just because the player base is new? No, that's wrong. You the player base needs to get up to speed and play the game at its set pace. So the real issue here is unintentional draws are creating worse moments in the higher pressure points of the game whereas if each player had to play a strategic way to win the game and actually create space and moments rather than i just can't lose then you actually have a different mindset altogether it's very easy to not lose it's very hard to play to win nonetheless that's just my tidbit i one of the most aggravating things all day was commentating on games that went to a draw because I, I literally you're watching it on your screen just saying the only thing this player is doing right now is doing everything as possible to just not let his opponent get 20 or and, and win the game it's 
it's not fun. It's just not. I mean, that's okay. how you win, right? You win by getting the 20 lore, not by getting more lore than your opponent. I, I hear you, but when the so, game is on the line, it's just like, oh, you didn't you got the 19, doesn't count. I'm at zero. I'm at zero. You're at 19, doesn't count. That that's shitty. I'm sorry. I'm not I'm not gonna agree with that. I'm just not. I've seen people come back from 19. Like I saw Great. it in game multiple things. Great, but if you have to do that in six turns and you can't, then you just you should lose. I'm sorry, you should. Like I, I'd much rather see games end that way than end in I had actually no chance of winning this game for another 35 minutes. But because of that, we went to a draw. That's that's your deck choice. You you can build your deck differently to win a game if if that was the if that was the option. It's I mean, not I had a draw. Option. I had a draw with Amber Steel. It wasn't just Ruby Amethyst. I hear you. And and I I mean we saw in top four that there was like a 25 minute game one in an yeah. amber steel mirror. It can happen, but yeah, it still is what it is. Just I don't know where I'm at. Play All right, so let's let's talk about the uh, the top 16. Uh top 16 had nine amber steels, four ruby amethyst, uh sapphire emerald. A sap or an emerald steel and an amber, yeah, amber sapphire. Um, you watched the stream, you didn't show up until towards like the top four, maybe the finals is when you walked in the door. Uh, any of the decks that you had seen on stream, were you impressed by them in any you know, any type of way? I mean, I was impressed by all the decks that were in the top 16 personally. That I because I, I watched all the deck lists, I, I read them all as soon as they came out. The night before um it was pretty much exactly where i thought it was going to be where you had different flavors of decks that were good in different matchups despite them having the same colors and I, this is something that just really bothers me about the the larger community that's out there that doesn't really understand the subtleties to me if a deck is different by like six to ten cards it's a totally different deck it's ten percent or more in right. some of these spaces right and some of them are even more some of them are even way even more than that like, oh yeah, some of them are fifteen to like eighteen cards different. Yeah, multiple flavors of amber steel, multiple flavors of ruby amethyst. Um, obviously, the other deck, the other color in combinations don't have variety because not enough of them made the eliminations to know. Um, but the choices that they made were well set up within um, their uh, like their matchups. So, um, yeah, I was just impressed with the decisions that were made and. The fact that they made it to the top 16 out of eight rounds means they had to have faced both Rumi Amethyst and Amber Steel multiple times on the day, and they came out ahead, or it was their one loss or one draw or something like that, if they got really lucky early. So, like, no matter what you want to say about how the how the lists look, the variety in them, even with those in colors, is what impressed me the most. Yeah, I tend to agree. Um, I, I think... I think remember, like if I remember correctly, all four of the Ruby Sapphires are at minimum six cards different. Uh, some of them like much more than that. Some of them playing cards that literally we hadn't seen registered in an event. Probably <laughs> like Ruby Ruby Amethyst. You mean? Yeah, Ruby Amethyst. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, obviously the Emerald Steel was a straight kind of like rogue deck out of nowhere that was very, you know, underplayed across everything. The Amber Sapphire deck I felt was actually potentially underplayed, but it was kind of matched by Amber Ruby. Like there was both, there was like 23 
uh, of those decks combined. So I think that maybe certain players decided to play Amber Ruby instead of playing Amber Sapphire. Whereas I thought more, I thought we would see like 20 Amber Sapphire decks and we only ended up seeing 11. Um, And then the Emerald Sapphire is definitely just straight out of left field. It's one of those where, um, you know, the, we've seen it again. It's, it has more success than Emerald Steel has had in the first couple months. It's seen like multiple top eights and things like that. Uh, but you know, it's still it was in the other. I think there was only maybe four of those decks registered of that ink combination. So, you know, huge shout out to Nick for finding a way in the top 16 with like those type of numbers when you go by comparison. Um, but all in all, I I I was pretty impressed uh, even watching, you know, the games all weekend and calling them like you could see the differences in choices really uh, just coming up. I, I know like specifically, I think it was the the top eight or the top four where, you know, the one deck had smash and the other deck had fire the cannons mm-hmm. and you could see like glaringly see the difference of what smash did in the matchup as opposed to what fire the cannons did in the matchup. And it was definitely a strict choice. And then uh, interviewing Jose afterwards and hearing him discuss why he played Smash over it. Uh, a lot of insight there. If you haven't seen that video yet, you can definitely check that out on the channel. Um, just a great insight from, from the winner. All in all, I'm not shocked at all, realistically. Uh, the only thing that I would say is I, I, would, I expected maybe one, maybe two more Ruby Amethyst. It sounds like a lot of them lost in the in the final round uh, yeah. in coin flip matches to Amber Steel, which is probably why we got the nine four split rather than you know like a a closer split. Um, and then you know the one thing that that I that I you know Emerald Sapphire had ten percent of the field and none of them in a in top thirty two right Emerald, like Emerald Amethyst. Emerald Amethyst. What did I say? Sapphire? <laughs> My bad. Seth was Sapphire today. Yeah. Emerald <laughs> Amethyst had 10% of the field and zero in top 32. So I- I've said my piece about this already, but what what do you think does that say about you know that archetype in the game right now? It has no chance against any of the removal based decks. It's pretty fair. <laughs> it's pretty fair. Yeah, I have to agree. Um final thoughts on Miami. It was a great event. It was a lot of fun. Um, uh, to date myself, like this was the first major event that I got to use like an app to get all my pairings without having to go to a board. That was a lot of that was fun, easy. It was really fun hanging out with everybody. It was really fun talking to people. Um, I got lucky a lot where the match next to me was the feature match, so I had a lot of room to spread out. That was oh, fun. There you go. Um, we dodged the the camera all week, just the all yeah. all week all Saturday, just to just to, to spread get some, out, just to get some leg room. Yeah, um, it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, obviously, I wish we cut the top thirty-two. That's neither here nor there. Um, but uh, I, I really enjoyed myself. I had a lot of fun. Okay. Uh, so PPG home run. Yeah, totally. All right. Totally. Well, the good news is that the next PPG event is uh, in um, five weeks. Uh, now, obviously, for me and Scott, it does clash with another event we're going to talk about here, but we're talking about the future of the game. And the point to this point is GalaxyCon is the next stop on the PPG tour. 
they're shooting for a 2k cash tournament rather than doing the product and it's for two reasons uh after talking to machado and i'm going to have another interview with machado coming out uh probably early november i would i would assume you know just to get more information of exactly the whole plan for galaxy con and the next convention on the pvg train but the start is it's 2k cash and he's doing cash instead of product because he wants to utilize product inside events he also can't guarantee getting the same level of product that he was able to have for denver which is this is like this tournament is exactly the same thing as denver in terms of release uh denver was two really two weeks after release of chapter one this is two weeks after the release of chapter two and unfortunately he still doesn't have a fair answer to what his product situation is going to be so he's opting for cash events and then he's going to have seal product for all the side events and if you're listening now if you're watching after the fact i need you to comment and let me know what type of side events you want to play in he's absolutely looking for the feedback he's asked me to get in touch with as much community members as possible that plan on going to pro play games events so he knows what type of events the community you know is going to be playing and want to play in for side events uh so there it is more of that destination feel so definitely let me know. But Scott, what are your feelings on, you know, obviously, let's just say product was available. Or would you be more happy with playing for product or are you fine with playing for cash? Um, I'd rather play for, I'd rather play for product personally, but it doesn't matter to me. Um, I understand why it's obviously happening. I mean, I think in the like I'd rather I like unique prizes. Like if you told me we got to play for enchanteds or something like that, like I would think that was more fun personally. Um, there's some when I play for cash, I guess I just feel like it becomes like an hourly rate thing and an EV thing. And like when I'm playing for product, it's it's more when product, especially when product isn't readily available. I just think it's like it feels different to me. Like especially if I won like enchanted or something like that like something i wouldn't normally buy i think that would be cool or like even like you know graded cards or something like that i think unique prizes like that are more are cooler to me than like just winning cash because cash for me just boils down to oh i could have worked today and made that cash that's just what my head goes to but i know it's not true but like that's just sometimes what my head goes to um yeah it's weird like i'm never gonna complain about winning cash i guess no. but it is one of those explicitly in this game because of like what we have and we also i mean the game that we what we found each other playing uh was world of warcraft and they had loot cards yeah and we can almost compare enchanteds to loot cards yeah. in a way in all honesty um and i liked winning spectral tigers right like it felt mm -hmm. great to win a spectral tiger so i imagine it would feel great to win an elsa or mm -hmm. i don't know anything really like any of them i don't i mean aside from like i don't know artist rogue miggy because right, right i hate that art and it's a terrible card so like i don't want to win that but <laughs> um yeah i i don't know like product's great especially i think i think the real truth is that so early on uh even now again like i couldn't tell you last time i opened up a booster pack because i just haven't seen one to even open one so winning a box would feel great uh it would feel really good so going to cash definitely sucks but i totally understand the reasoning because at yeah. the end of the day he just can't he can't guarantee that he's going to have three cases available for prizes 
uh, in the first week of December. You know, like he had mm-hmm. to, it's he had to work towards getting the the, the product for um, for Miami, and it took you know it took like six seven weeks to really like secure the product and make sure he was going to be able to support it in the way he did. And I think that I think he did five more um, eight man pods to win the gift set so like that was like five more gift sets that he you know had to have he had to find uh had to support and things like that so he continued to do them but all in all the competitive player to me is just like hey like if if i can make it work i'm gonna go to that event um and i i think the bigger you know the, the bigger telltale sign is like last weekend's event seeing winning two cases uh right now I mean, uh, the TCG marketplace is what? Like, I don't know. Is it is it four hundred dollars a box yet? <laughs> it, I'm not I sure. Consider the, I, I consider those cases to be worth fourteen hundred dollars a piece. Right. So that means like top prize was like three grand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so knowing that, even though realistically they should only be worth like twelve hundred or six hundred, twelve hundred both. Right. It's that's just not the world we live in right now. So. Mm-hmm. You know, you and you can't predict that either. Like, obviously, that could go the other way. It could be like, right, chapter two is trash, and nobody wants it. And like, right, like I'm not saying there's anything that's true, but like, it could turn into that. It could turn into a a commander's masters problem for Magic Gathering, right? Like, nobody wants that sealed product, but that's not the case, right? We're not living in that world. We're definitely living in a world where people want the product, and so not being able to win even two boxes instead of like four hundred dollars, like I. I'd absolutely rather say I could guarantee myself two boxes and winning than getting the four hundred dollars. But hey, uh, is what it is. All in all, yeah. if I was in the Ohio area, if I was close, if it wasn't the same weekend as PAX Unplugged, uh, I'd probably find myself there. But we won't. So shout out to PPG uh, and their next stop track. But the other thing that is coming up is PAX Unplugged. Now, we tweeted this out, and uh, I don't know who told you the tale of looking on the schedule that day when we found it, but there my are... Buddy my buddy at work. Your buddy at work? All right, so your buddy at work you know, hit, hit you up in the DMs and said, hey, uh, the schedule for PAX Unplugged came out, and uh, spoiler alert, Ravensburger's on there, and they're having Lorcana events. Sadly, we don't know That's anything correct. about them. All it says is Lorcana events from 11 to 11. <laughs> it's... Which is awesome. Yeah. Um, now, from experience, what we know is that Pastimes is at PAX Unplugged every year. Pastimes was the tournament organizer that worked with them uh, at Gen Con. Yep. So it's safe to assume that Pastimes would likely be running the Lakana events and not necessarily Robinsberger themselves. Yes. Okay. Um, but, but again, that's, that's how it always is. That's how it always is. That's how it always is. But the real truth here, uh, is that it probably doesn't matter what events they're running. Does it not for me? No. <laughs> <laughs> so the big thing and the big takeaway here is that PAX Unplugged will have Ravensburger at it, which I can tell you they have not been for the last couple years. So the fact that they're even coming to PAX Unplugged, and it's the official release weekend of the set to big box stores rather than praying to whomever that we find boxes at Target and Walmart, they're very likely to be at the Philadelphia Convention Center. 
I mean, we also know that Walmart and Target will put them out on Tuesday anyway, so it really doesn't matter. <laughs> so, now we know. <laughs> right. So so you won't be able to get your two packs at Barnes & Noble is really what you're, what you're trying to say. Yeah, I don't have to go to, to Barnes & Noble at 10 a.m. to get two packs, right. obviously. But you yeah. can stalk the, the stalkers from Tuesday through Friday before yeah. the event at Walmart and Target because it's going to be the same thing as the first chapter anyway. Right. Um, but yeah, let's just say, I don't know, let's, let's predict the, predict the future here. Right. Um, if there were events, what type of events would you, would you be hopeful for? I'm Not assuming there are, what, what, what am I assuming there are, or what am I, what do I, what am I be happy I, with? Both. Let me hear what you think they're going to be. And let me hope like, what would, what would be more hopeful? I think they're going to be chapter two seal decks. What would that be part of it? Yeah. I think. I, I hope there will be smaller constructed events where you win like the D100 sets, I think will be very, very big at this event. I would be willing to bet that the D100 sets could potentially be on the quote pastimes wall. So right. you might have to like play in multiple uh, smaller events to gain your tickets and then you can cash your yeah. tickets in. That's what I would get. I think we're at the point now with a second set coming out where we're past like we just have sealed decks events. So I'm, do I think there's going to be like massive 400 person constructed events? No. But do I think that there's going to be multiple constructed events with like, you know, 64 player caps that happen during the day? Yeah. Maybe not even that. It might even be like 32 man. Right. Whatever, yeah. whatever it is. Um, so I, I do, I do think there'll be that. Um, if there is enough product, they'll do seal decks. D would do drafts. I just don't think there's going to be enough product. No chance. I would be. No. I would be shocked. Yeah, but I, I do think we are mature enough in the game where people actually do own cards now. Will they own enough Floodborne? That's a different story. Um, I don't think we're going to get details on any of this until what's the, it's the 24th now. Like I wouldn't imagine for like. I, I would hope. Weeks. I would hope before Floodborne's released. Yeah, we're not going to. I would hope, um, like at the very least, that week, um, like just anything. Yeah, the people like it's hard. It's hard to plan to come here if you have no idea what's going on. So, like, the longer they wait to tell people what are happening, the harder it's going to be for people to get here. And packs and plugs, not something. If you're watching this later live right now. You don't have to worry about buying your badge. They're not going to sell out, right? Like right. Packs and Plugs has never sold out for any of their day badges or any of their three badges. Like they don't sell out. You could buy them literally when you get there. In all honesty, I would still buy them before. But the point is that they're not going to sell out. Um, I, I work in the Philadelphia Convention Center all the time. It's massive. It's huge. It has plenty of room. And this is a smaller Pax event. It's not like. PAX East or PAX West, where it's like a you know 100,000. It's not that type of event. It's a board game convention. It's a tabletop convention. Like You don't get that scene. You don't get that crowd. So uh, you don't have to be worried about purchasing bags that late, but it is just a planning thing. It's like, hey, uh, I could go to GalaxyCon, which if like I'm in the middle of PA or I'm like, you know, in West Virginia and something like that, like, and I had to make a choice if I want to go to Columbus and play in a 2K uh, for PPG uh... or if um i want to go to pax unplug just to like hopefully see whatever is going on there it's hard to do that if like you just don't know what's going on so i i just hope they like i don't i never understand the point of waiting 
for the last minute to announce these things. And they continuously have kept doing this over and over and over. Gen Con was the exception. At least we knew what we were getting at Gen Con like three or four months in advance, which was great. I don't understand why it's so difficult to tell people, hey, we're going to be at this convention and this is what we're doing. I, I, I literally can't understand it. It's because they don't know what product is going to be there yet. That's that's the problem. They don't know. <laughs> they didn't. They, they they may not know if they're getting three pallets, one pallet a day, like they got a Gen Con. They don't know yet. Honestly, the secret is I could care less what the events are. Though. I know, I know, I know. They're going to be there. There's product there that it doesn't matter. As long as there's right. a promo to be had, then it doesn't matter. Uh, if I can buy, only... if I can if I can buy boxes at retail. If yeah. I buy boxes above retail with tax, I could care less. Yeah. And that's we, that's definitely going to happen. And we absolutely already can't do that. Uh, right. So if they're there, if they're available, it's probably worth it. Right. Honestly, right there. In all honesty, like, again, uh, there was supposed to be a September restock. It got pushed to October. And now it's the third week of October. <laughs> and we're being told that if we're lucky, though, it might come the first week of November. So, like, we honestly can't be sure when any of the product is coming. We have none of the stores really can tell me a specific answer of, like, yeah, I'm getting this many boxes. Like, it, nobody knows. <laughs> nobody but knows. If they're, if they're going, and it's the same weekend that the D100 set comes out, period. Not, yep. not, not any of that. Yeah. Um, and and again, if they're showing up, which we already know they are, they're going to have product one way or the other. So I don't really care. Yeah, it is a shame, but I know that you know it would be nice to also have something else to look forward to, even if it was just twenty-four man, thirty-two man, sixty, whatever sure. it is, like some level pod to do at some point during the day just to play the game and experience yeah, sure. the community and things like that. Like Philadelphia is not a small community. We have a giant. We you know we're we're selling out uh we're capping out at local events left and right so there's there's definitely reason to go there's reason for people to be there etc we'll have to see what happens um couple shout outs uh diego will absolutely going to be a pax unplugged you, you, i'll be the guy with the forbidden mountain shirt on come say hi uh <laughs> i agree with Aldis. it started x feel like a duh but I also know that I'm going to have zero interest in playing in starter deck events. I just, I'm not, I, I'm over starter deck events. I'm, I'm, I'm past it. Um, they're doing a ton of giveaways a weekend for pass on Twitch streams. I guess that's cool. Yeah. I didn't know about that. Uh, I will be a, in loan line early weather product if there is not fax. And then I hope PAX is less chaotic than Gen Con. I think that that is uh, basically a, a, a surefire possibility. <laughs> Uh, any big events in Canada? Not, not that we have seen yet. Not that I've heard from yet. Um, Scott, one last event to talk about that's going to maybe end the year um, is PBG's event at the Marriott World Center in Orlando, Florida, December 21st and 22nd. It's a day one Swiss on Thursday with a day two cut on Friday. It's another 2K cash event. Um, it's the holiday masters convention, which we were told is what, what was the exact def, uh, explanation you got of this one, Scott? Cause I know you were talking to Majato about it. It's an anime convention that's focused on Christmas or something like that. Anime convention focused on Christmas. If anyone is listening <laughs> and has any details about this, hit me up in chat. <laughs> I went to the website and I got even more confused as I went to the website. <laughs> okay. Fair, fair. Obviously I don't live in Orlando. Apparently this is like a yearly thing in Orlando. 
I don't know anything about it. But when he told me the event was being played on Thursday, Friday, I, I like, I immediately sighed. Um, and I, and I was very honest with Machado. I think that, I think even everything we want it to be and everything we want to pitch it for and like, Hey, you can go to, you know, Disney world for the holidays and all that. It's like, man, that's still a tough sale, right? Like that's, it's cool, but I mean, immediately remove anyone that has kids, right? Like, unless you're going to lug your kids around through an event for two days and then go do Disney world and all that. I, I'm not doing that. That's, that's not happening. So for me, it, it's very difficult to accommodate for that particular week and that particular event that close to Christmas. If it's something like maybe we know we knew about like even further beyond, then we can have a conversation about it. Um, but none of those things are very true. So I, I don't know. Um, it's cool that we're going to have uh, as two events, you know, for PBG in the same month, both focus on rye, uh, you know, rise of the Floodborne. but yeah, I don't know. Hard to say. It's a Thursday, man. It's on a Thursday. I'm more likely to go to this event than I am to GalaxyCon. Well, that's only because PAX Unplugged is the same weekend. Any chance of going is better than zero. So there's definitely a chance of going to this event. Yeah, I know. It's just really tough. Thursday, Thursday, Friday is such a weird thing. And I I don't know. I know the Florida scene's big. Maybe they go. Maybe they travel. But... I'm sure more people planned off to have off after Christmas than before it. So like trying to figure out that scheduling also might be difficult. Let's see how it goes. I'm a little worried about this event in particular. I think galaxy con will be fine. I think that the Ohio scene will travel to it. They won't have to come all the way to pack some plug if they don't want to, because there'll be a reason to play in Ohio and have product there to play for and things like that. But this particular event with the holiday scene, um, even though we have two months to plan for it seems tough. I mean, I think there's just one overall statement I want to make. Like, you have to understand that a lot of these events are happening at events. Yeah. So PPG has contracts with conventions. Right. So this is an anime convention. A large majority of what PPG does is the anime games. So it's uh, One Piece, Dragon Ball Super. Uh, I don't know what else. Those are the two big ones. I know that. Uh, um, insert random it, Bandai it, game. Digimon, I, I guess. I, I right, Digimon, sure. Yeah. So... They already have contracts to run those types of games at these events. They're at the mercy of when these events are happening. Right. They're also at the mercy of the location of these events. So right. everyone that's asking Canada, Midwest, Western, we we are affiliated with PBG. Like we are friends with George and people that work at PBG. So like we are just one entity that's pushing those events because we we have are, a partnership with Procreate Games. Right. Right. We have a partnership with them. So. But but if if they I mean they were in Denver they had a convention in Denver it's not like they went to Denver on their own there was a convention there so if there is insert convention in California that they happen to be at they'll be there I know for example in March or April they usually do a Vegas event yeah I, a big Vegas event for the Bandai games unofficial confirmation right PPG right. does go to Vegas once a year right. So, I mean, it, it all comes down to who, who contracts them to be at the conventions. And on top of to that, with like desire, really. Right. And, and here's the other thing PBG, they're, it's not like they just did Miami TCG Con. Like mm -hmm. the three weeks previous to that, they were at other conventions hosting events for other games. So, yeah. not only is it 
am I going to this convention? What games are we legally obligated uh, or legally allowed to host? And all those contracts are being formed in the whole process. Now, what I can tell you, right, I, I have no problem saying this, 265 registered players for Miami, that is leverage moving forward, right? right? That's a number that George Machado can tell every single, uh, you know, event that he that he organized with, that he, you know, contracts with that, hey, I got 200 players to come to Miami. So when you start hearing those numbers, he can start throwing them around. If those are more than what he's doing for other games, it gives leverage for Lorcana to have more events. So that why it really was important to get as many players as possible to go to Miami. It's also important to keep, you know, keep going and trying to get players to Columbus and trying to get players to uh, Orlando in, 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 you know, in the months times. But the whole point is that that, that, that was a gigantic step forward, right? I mean, we went from um, Denver that I think had like 42 players or 45, whatever that number was all the way to 265. Like that's a large, large leap. And that's something that could definitely play a huge role in 2024. Yeah, but the big thing is, though, tournament organizers are regional usually. Um, and, and international, too. Like, it, So if you're listening to this and you you know who the big tournament organizers are in your area and you can contact them, you know, just talk to them about, like, hey, are you planning on covering Orkana? Are, are you planning on being at this convention and, and, and doing things? Like, you know what what the what games they run etc and 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 that's you know it's we're obviously affiliated with one big tournament organizer but there's 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 multiples across the country and international absolutely so um with that i believe we're done that section of the podcast so um shout out to quentin young guess what we're about to talk about this in a few moments here uh obviously again you know this sounds awesome and i'm sure it's it's possible i would definitely if like if you go to comic-con and you know you know the tos there the the you know the organized there if you knew what their name is i would reach out an email and say hey can we make this happen you know can we get this done you know that's what i would be doing uh what, what would make an event worth it though a case or two obviously we just had two cases we just it was what uh, I think it was almost four cases worth of products in the top 32. Like if we include the trove, like just the pack numbers uh, between troves and gift steps or something like that. I think it was close to four, maybe like three that. and a half, maybe like three and a half cases. It was more than that because it was three cases just first and second. Yeah. So it was more than that. Okay. So maybe it was like five cases, whatever. Yeah, it was probably so like five or six cases. It depends. Like it depends on what your goal is too, right? Like the goal for PPG uh miami was absolutely as many players as possible that was absolutely the goal so giving up and and getting that much product is not you know it wasn't easy to do but that was the goal so really it's it's about your goals in uh in in a given event you know if if you're looking to make it a destination event then you got to be willing to put out you know a, a certain number uh either whether it's cash or you know, within prizes or those products or enchanted things like that. It just, it's really a matter of what your goal is for that event uh, to make it what it needs to be. Mm -hmm. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. The different formats, of course, are always going to be a debate. The concept of time and round and the end of game procedure are 
believed to be potential changes that the game can always adapt to. Of course, the insight behind the concept that new cards are coming out to decrease the likeliness of unintentional draws go a long way as well. Thank you again so much for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.